are so many ways in which our relationship with money can be broken. Everything from our backgrounds and family history to our mental health and use of social media can play a part. And in order to create a lasting change in both our attitudes and our bank balances, we need to be able to go to the root of the problem. We need to consider what it is that has shaped our attitude and our habits and look at what needs to happen in order for them to change. In the first part of this book, you'll find hardly any numbers. What you'll find instead are insights, anecdotes, observations and questions devised to help you to understand why money isn't easy to deal with in the context of a real, busy, complicated life and how we can make things better. Chapter 1. Broke, not poor. I have been broke. Not in a Carrie Bradshaw, I'll just sell all my Manolos and my boyfriend will buy my apartment kind of way, but in a very real, panic-inducing, life-limiting kind of way. I have spent weeks in an unplanned overdraft, twitching every time my phone rang and unable to open a letter without first trying to peer in through the address window in order to steal myself for the contents. I've had long periods of paying essential living costs with a credit card, biting the insides of my cheeks when something needed to be paid by backs or in cash. I've had to ask my family for help again and again, never revealing the full extent of the problem, borrowing just enough to cover the absolute essentials. I'm not poor though, let me explain. For two terms that are often used interchangeably, see also skint, there is a notable difference between what it means to be broke, just about managing with little disposable income, big debts and no assets, and what it means to live in real poverty, where you might be skipping meals to ensure that your children are fed or unable to heat and light your home in winter. I have no experience of the latter, and I recognise how privileged that makes me. I know that, if push came to shove, there are people who would put a roof over my head. I have friends and family who would help me to keep the walls from the door, and for that I'm eternally grateful. Broke is easily fixed in relative terms. The climb out of poverty in a country where social mobility is dying faster than any trendy houseplant I've ever owned, RIP, is a lot more complicated, and I'm in awe of anybody with the grit and determination to manage it. Recognising that I begin this journey from a place of privilege is important. Our background shapes so much of our relationship with money and our fundamental understanding of how it works, so that by the time we are adults, our financial instincts are often sewn inextricably into the fibres of our identity. We identify ourselves as good with money or bad with money, as if that defines who we are as people and isn't part of a more complex combination of our character, our upbringing and our circumstances. So often that definition of ourselves can become a self-fulfilling prophecy, pushing us to make decisions that perpetuate those labels. It's the voice telling you to buy the shoes, even though you've got a similar pair, because you're in debt already. Or, conversely, to save that easily affordable bus fare, although your feet are aching, because you can't be certain you won't need that money for something else later. I've always been a spender. When we were kids and my sister was given money, she would save it, whereas I would be itching to get out to the shops to buy whatever beanie baby I had my eye on. The buzz of a new possession has always been a huge draw for me, always scratching an itch, but never for very long. 
Delayed gratification has never really been my thing. 